Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Android Central podcast. My name is Shruti Shaker. I wasn't here last week, but the crew did an amazing job, and they're back again. I have Jerry Hildenbrand. Hi, Jerry. Hey, 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 what's happening? <laughs> I've got Michael Hicks. Hello. And Nick Sutrick. Hi, guys. Hey. Okay, so how's everyone doing? How are we doing today? I'm doing great. <laughs> Michael, it's, Nick. It's been a week. It's uh-huh. been a week. Yeah. It's It's been a little bit of a... I think it's been a week pretty, for many reasons. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all pretty exhausted. Um, and um, maybe this is a good time to tell everyone why we're all feeling exhausted. I mean, obviously the world is crumbling. <laughs> but aside from that... Um, Android Central actually went through a major change on Monday. Um, We switched over to a new CMS, uh, which has been a bit hard because I think everyone's just trying to figure out, you know, how to write stories in the new CMS, learning the tools. But really all of this is so that we can leverage all of those new tools and the expertise that comes from being part of a major multinational media brand, Future. Um, they've switched over a bunch of their sites, Tom's Guide, Tech Radar, Marie Claire, and we're now going through that transition period. It's been a bit hard. I mean, Michael, you've been doing it for, you've already sort of played around with the new CMS, so you have an idea of what it's all like. But, you know, you've been so great and you've been helping us. Yeah, I, mean, I used it when I was freelancing for Tech Radar, and it's a fairly intuitive system to use the trickiest thing for us has just been for the people who haven't used it before and also the switching of the old content to the new system you know if you go back and look at some older articles you might see some weird formatting which is not the fault of the new system as much as it is just the transition is making it like systems handled things like images and pull quotes and other things differently and so we are doing our best to fix those. But this is a very old blog that has been around for quite a long time. There's a lot of content to, nope. to, to fix if, there. If so. you do see something like that, be sure to shoot somebody an email. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We, we want to fix it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I Jerry, I thought you were going to say, be sure to shoot somebody. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you that. can do that, too, if don't you live do, in, like, Texas or something. <laughs> don't do that. Do not. We are not endorsing that at all, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yes, um, as Jerry mentioned, you know, send us an email. Send us a comment if you see bugs or if you see something that hasn't translated over. We're working through this tirelessly. And we get the frustration that you guys might have as well. But this is all really good for us and our site. We're going to be producing so much more content and it's going to look great. And we're all really excited about it, right? Wait, nobody said anything about having to produce more content. (laughs) I didn't sign up for that. (laughs) More like I'm going to push you to write more stuff, Jerry. (laughs) Oh, I know. uh, I can ignore that. Yeah. For me, (laughs) I know it's little, but... One of the things I'm really happy about in the change is, you know, the little slider that you can do on uh, some <laughs> reviews where you got an image of one phone versus another. <laughs> yes. <gonna> do- <laughs> yeah. Hey, I like that. And now I can finally do it in my reviews. And I'm, I'm actually throwing together a, a Samsung nitography comparison article now that has a bunch of those in it. So 
I've just been giddy all day doing that because whatever, I'm a nerd like that. The guy whose reviews are two-thirds all about cameras is really excited about the camera slider thing. Imagine that. I mean, I I think I would be excited about that too. I think having that just makes your reviews so much better, right? I mean, it would just, it it just makes it a lot more comprehensive and it looks, and it it looks more appealing. It it also makes it easier to compare stuff like that because, you know, before I had to put it in this side-by-side template and, you know, I mean, you see them side-by-side, but having the slider and being able to pull it straight over, you know, one side or the other is, it's just really nice. It, It makes it a lot better of a comparison and it's the full res too, which, you know, is something people like. It's a big like. deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. <laughs> I'm going to whip out some ancient phone that runs like Android 1.6 and go to our website so I can write an email and complain that it's broken. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. That's Jerry. fantastic. I'm going to it to Nick. Oh, gosh. Do it. All right. Do it. Yes, do it. No, but... um. Basically, that's that's kind of a big deal for our site, guys. And so I hope you guys appreciate all the work that we're doing to sort of get everything switched over. And thank you for being patient with us because we know transitions can't be easy, um, but we're also trying to figure it all out. So yeah. thank you. Hey, that, that's what I love about it. There are so many new buttons for me to push and new ways to try to break stuff. And I live <laughs> for that. And I'm serious. That's how you make things better is you get... Some monkey like me to go in there. I'm not afraid. I'll I'll take the whole website down if on accident, of course. Don't 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 don't. I didn't say that really, but I, you know, really, there's all these cool things, buttons to press, and I've just I've got this test post that I've written and it's not published, and mm-hmm. it's got all kind of crazy stuff in it. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the first thing we wanted to address in our, um, right off the bat, uh, the top of this podcast, but, um, does it make it any easy to talk about the next topic? Because it's also kind of challenging, but, you know, here at Android Central, we really wanted to make sure that we are talking about this. And that's of course, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Um, it's, um, definitely not an easy topic to talk about, um, why are we talking about anything else when something as big as Ukraine is happening right now and all the people that are suffering and getting hurt and the soldiers and it's all such a mess. Um, But Michael wrote an incredible, absolutely incredible editor's desk last week um, addressing Ukraine. I actually kind of have chills talking about this. It's it's really hard. Um, so bear with us, guys. But we think that we should be talking about this. It's very important. Um, but yeah, Michael Michael wrote this incredible article about, you know, how do we talk about big tech when when something like this is happening, or how do we talk about technology in general? And his article basically addressed how there are so many amazing tech creators that have come out of Ukraine who have helped create some of the biggest products out there that we use on an everyday basis, you know, WhatsApp, PayPal. And I guess the question that I have for the group today is, what role does big tech play in all of this? Um, and kind of also just talk about Michael's article. So maybe, Michael, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about what you wrote and, and your thoughts about this? Yeah, so I started out just the simple goal. I wanted, I saw this tweet from... I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, Mike Sabaton from Forbes Ukraine, just talking about the different Ukrainians 
that have impacted the tech world. I was impressed just with the, the number of them. I knew there were a lot of Ukrainian game developers, but also didn't know as many as of the sort of tech side of that. And as I sort of dove down the rabbit hole, I realized, well, it's not just, you know, the, the big name entrepreneurs coming out of Ukraine. It's also the people who are living there now because most of the big tech brands have offices in Kiev or Odessa or one of these cities because it's just a great tech nation for um, just, you know, a lot of talented people there. And it's just interesting to me that they are working for companies that are really involved in the dissemination of information which can sometimes be manipulated for political gain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they make these sites better. And then these sites are used to sort of prop up certain regimes that are willing to use misinformation to do whatever they're going to do. And, and you know, now Ukraine is suffering through the worst of this attack. And, and you know, this isn't a, a political site. We don't really have the knowledge of the, the the weapons that Russia is bringing into the country or anything else like that. You know, we have to go to CNN or wherever for that. But the fact is, just these people that have impacted our lives indirectly by supporting the sites we love are now in serious danger or scared or fleeing the country, and it's just a really just a mortifying thing to think about. And then from there, I just, I went on to just sort of think about the role that tech has in a situation like this and what they should be doing. And it's a complicated question that I'll, you know, open up to other people, but all of these brands are now pushing back against Russia. They're cutting off their way of spreading misinformation. And Russia is responding now as we speak by cutting off these sites. They're banning Facebook. They're banning Twitter um, because of taking the political stance, quote unquote, of not letting them do whatever they want in terms of spreading information. So on the one hand, you can say that it is good for tech companies to make sure that a regime can't use their tools for ill. But on the other hand, the people within Russia who may or may not support what is happening are losing access to things that they use or need in their daily lives. They're losing messaging apps. They're losing Google Pay and Apple Pay, so they can't use the subway. And the question is, are we okay with Russians being collateral damage for the sake of stopping a political regime from using these tools? No, I'm not. War sucks, guys. I, you know, I, I've never seen combat. I've seen the aftermath of combat. War sucks. War destroys. It doesn't, even the winner sucks. Uh, what tech is doing may be effective in, you know, working against the government of who they see as the aggressor. But in reality, it's also hurting people people who aren't fighting, people who are innocent, a third party, if you will. And I don't have the answer. I don't know 
you know, maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's not. All I know is that you can't just destroy some middle class family's life because you want to hurt the government that runs the country they live in. So I don't have the answer. I just know I don't like what I see. Yeah, you know, I when we were coming up with the topics for today's podcast, um, I had posed a question when I was researching about um, the role of big tech. And that question is, and as Michael rightfully put, you know, is it okay for those who are in Russia to be collateral damage? There are people in Russia who are against this war. There have been anti-war protests um, by many Russians. So, and, you know, like you mentioned, Jerry, like you don't think it's okay and it, none of this is okay. But I'm I'm curious to know from that perspective, like, is it okay or 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 is what is happening right now the right thing that's happening? I don't have answers. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I really, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I just okay. feel for the people. I have another question, which I think is kind of interesting, um, specifically on big tech. So I read another article. Uh, it's in the Globe and Mail. It's a Canadian uh, tech or Canadian publication. Um, and it's from one of their tech reporters um, who wrote basically about how big tech's response to Russia um, could set a precedent. You know, for many years now, we've never really seen big tech take a stance politically. Um, maybe there are some political stances, but it's very it's very unheard of them for being for them being very vocal about something like uh, politics. Um, you know, of course, we did see um, when former President Donald Trump was um, causing havoc on Twitter. Twitter did decide to ban um, the former president, but that wasn't necessarily a political stance. That was more so a stance in order to protect individuals and stop the spread of misinformation. Um, but but this is a very clear um, political uh, stance that a lot of these companies are taking. You know, Apple, Meta, Twitter, um, SpaceX, you know, they've all decided to take a stance. And I, I'm curious to know if that is going to set a precedent. Is that going to create a precedence in the future where big tech will start to take sides when things like this happen? Big tech's going to take the side that makes them the most money. Right. But I think in this uh, particular situation, it's important to note that they have only banned, you know, RT and Sputnik News and all that in Europe. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this is I can't remember if it has actually been, um, you know, put into law by Europe to have these platforms banned. But I know that they had banned them expecting that this was going to be passed. Whereas in the rest of the world, you can still access all of those, you know, Russian state controlled media outlets from Facebook, from Twitter. They're all still there. They have the tag that they're state controlled media, just like all of the other state controlled media worldwide has that same tag. But yeah, this at least as far as the banning goes, that was only in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it, in this case, they're just following the law. They're not necessarily going out of their way and making a political statement. I think the political statement would have been, hey, guys, we're banning these worldwide. They are no longer allowed on our platforms. And I think they made that move back, you know, with the 2020 election. I had to think of what year it was. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Time is fluid. And, it doesn't yeah, exist who, anymore. Who knew, whatever. In, in any case, <laughs> they kind of made that move back then when they decided to ban these politicians, which... You know, like you were saying, they were abusing the platform. Mm -hmm. 
if they were any regular users, they would have been banned a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I don't know. It's it's not really a slippery slope because they're following the rules in every regard, but it's seen as political because of the content. So I don't. I mean, I I think this is a you know they can't win either way. Mm-hmm. They're Michael. they're always going to be panned in a negative light from somebody when they make these types of actions, even if they're not actions that they actually were like, hey, we're going to make this exception or we're going to do something special or different for this group or this person. And I, I want to make it clear that my concerns aren't with, you know, Google or Facebook banning Russia today in Europe or adding a big disclaimer before you can view any of their content. My concerns were with dropping and banning services to the Russian people. Right. And that's what a lot of folks have been pushing for. Like, you know, I think some Ukrainian politicians were saying, Apple, please block the App Store entirely. Yeah, they were. And, you know, I get it. If I, I would never fight in a war, I, you know, I would never go shoot another man. But if somebody came into my yard with a gun, I'd be right there fighting back. I get why the Ukrainians are so upset. I just don't agree with, you know, scorched earth policy on any level. So, yeah, I think the thing is, you know, the reason Russia is banning sites now is because they're, they are now Twitter and, and Google and Facebook are suddenly quote unquote political because the idea of yeah. something being political is taking a, a stance against whatever the, the actual government where that website is operating in has decided upon you know, in the in the US you can ban Trump or do whatever because they are independent enough to do, to do that because of the the constitution and freedom of the press and all that to say you know we're going to ban misinformation but in other countries it you have to allow you have to do whatever those governments decide in order to operate there and make money there and them suddenly switching their stance and banning the you know Russia from doing whatever it wants is political in that sense and it is cutting that off but these companies yeah it's about money and making sure that they are not alienating themselves in the US or in the EU because these those groups have the power to you know sanction the company or to say, you know, we're going to have to take greater regulatory control over what you do in other countries because you're enabling this or something. And that's not what they want. They want to stay independent. So yeah, I I just, whatever the political ramifications of all of this, they're, they're being banned because they are blocking this information. And I think that that is I mean, it is not great for the Russian people to lose access to sources of information beyond the ones that Russia wants to give them. But at the same time, if the alternative is to let Putin continue to do whatever he wants, then I guess it's not a choice. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure either what the right call is here. But I I do think, I agree that, I, I just think that 
Google and these companies were profiting off of all of this up until a week ago. They were airing, they were taking ad money from Russia today to push these videos. And then they were monetizing those videos and giving money back to those sites, which can then buy more ads. And it's a circle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That That's a whole other aspect of this. If what these big tech companies are saying today is true, then last week they were enabling it just to make a few dollars. Yeah. Um, I have one last question before I wanted to move on to the next topic. But I guess, you know, because we've brought up this question of like, or rather the, the, this point of how there are innocent Russians who are against this war, who are suffering and, and don't have access to the right information. What, what in, in a circumstance like this, what would they do? Like, would they use a VPN or is that not a, like, how does, how, how would that work for them? I'm not exactly sure what Russian telecom laws are like. I'm going to assume that they could use the VPN and that's just Mm -hmm. an assumption. If anybody out there knows differently, I'd love to know a little bit more about it, but that's still not a great option. My guess is VPN traffic is probably blocked. Hmm. It would be very easy to do it. And I know Nick knows that. Right. Especially if they control everything network wise around the country. I mean, again, like you said, I don't know how deep that agency goes, like how much control do they really have over internet connectivity? Mm -hmm. I mean, something like, um, uh, Elon Musk's, you know, satellite internet service. My, my brain just died. I can't remember what the name of it is. Starlink. 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 Yeah. Starlink. Okay. That was right. It didn't sound right. Anyway, something like Starlink, obviously if you're using that, the government can't control it. It goes straight to the satellite and out to the world. But if it's connected to, a pipe in the ground that goes to some router somewhere in a building that the Russian government can go, you know, stick a USB drive in and monitor the thing. They probably can do that. And, you Mm -hmm. know, if you have a ballistic missile that can reach, you know, orbit height, you can control Starlink too. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose, yes, that is, that is true as well, but that's a a little beyond just, you know, can I VPN out of my country? (laughs) (laughs) okay let's go on to our next topic but um for those listening you know obviously that was a very difficult topic to talk about but um we appreciate you guys listening and we think it's really important that we do discuss this so please discuss it amongst yourselves and you know if you care to donate donate where you can and you know be safe wherever you are but on to the next topic, which was something that I thought was very interesting. It came out of um, MWC, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Um, this Qualcomm ByteDance partnership, which I, I think, Nick, you can kind of talk about this a little, a little bit more. But, you know, uh, the, the two companies partnered and uh, Nick wrote a fantastic editorial about it. So if you haven't read about it, it's more so in terms of like what this partnership looks like and how this would really benefit um, the VR, AR space. <sighs> Tell us about this partnership. <laughs> yeah, so we're moving uh, the conversation from one repressive government to the next, basically, is, is what pretty we're much. doing here. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So um, at uh, MWC this year, Qualcomm announced at their press conference that they were partnering with ByteDance. ByteDance is the company who makes TikTok and several other things that you probably don't know of if you're not in China. Um, 
And this was specifically for the XR space, which is sort of the catch-all term for anything that's AR, VR, whatever, right? Um, now, last year, ByteDance bought Pico. That's another hardware uh, manufacturer that makes VR headsets. They are basically, outside of China, just an enterprise-class VR headset. So you're talking like, you know, 800 bucks. It's really only meant for businesses. It's like for training and that sort of thing. Inside of China, though, this this headset is effectively the Quest 2. It's 400 bucks, roughly. It has, you know, most of the same games. It runs Android. It's got the exact same chipset, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the thought here is that um, with this partnership, Qualcomm is going to help ByteDance bring Pico's headsets to consumers worldwide. And, you know, that's good for um, competition in the VR market. You know, imagine if, you know, like the NES back in the day was basically the only console. There was no Sony. There really, I mean, Sega existed, but they didn't really have a market share. So that's kind of how it is in the VR space right now. You have Meta and then you have a bunch of other companies that really don't sell a whole lot. And having more standalone headsets like this makes it a lot easier for people to buy. And the fact that these are going to be using the same chipsets, I think I'm using the same software. Um, all of that goes together. It means multi-platform games are a lot easier. But this particular announcement is almost assuredly does not mean that we're going to get the Pico Neo 3, which is the current Pico headset, here as a consumer headset, you know, in the US or in Canada or in Europe. Most likely it means that the Neo 4 or whatever they call the next thing is what we would see if if this means a consumer headset. But I, I think also beyond that, and, you know, Michael, feel free to, to pipe in if um, you have any thoughts on this. I think this sets Qualcomm up to win no matter who wins, because right now there's not a lot of competition in the chipset space either. You've got Qualcomm who, you know, they, with the first Quest them and Meta basically worked on a, a hybrid smartphone chipset that worked in this thing. Before that, it was kind of similar with Google and some other companies that were making standalone headsets. The Quest 2 was the first headset that used an actual like purpose-built XR chipset. And this um, partnership means that Qualcomm is going to work on making more of those for the future. So just like we have the Snapdragon chipsets made for smartphones, we have ones made specifically for, you know, watch smartwatches and other wearables. They're now committing to making more chipsets for AR and VR headsets, you know, smart glasses, that sort of thing. So this is this is Qualcomm saying we're not going anywhere. And if anything, we're going to be the ones that all of these headsets are going to have chipsets from because nobody else is doing this like we are. I think this was a dumb move by Qualcomm. <laughs> I, you know, what what better way to piss off Facebook Meta than to get on stage with the only likely competitor to the Quest and say we're best friends forever now and forget about how they were best friends with Facebook just a month before. I mean, Qualcomm is best friends with everyone, though. They've yeah, been in partnerships with a lot of people. But you know, they normally don't get on stage and flout it like this. I mean, Facebook can certainly afford to partner with MediaTek, 
Samsung, any number of the other smaller companies that make chips and build an equivalent to power their next Quest headset. So I have thoughts there, though. I mean, Samsung, do we want an Exynos chip running a VR headset given... I mean, in theory, I guess we still haven't heard how the 2200 is doing, but I've heard a lot about throttling there. I mean, I'm not sure how well it would handle it, assuming Samsung was even interested. And then you have MediaTek, which I do remember saying at its summit earlier this year that it it kept talking about the metaverse and wanting to get into it, but it hasn't yet, and that could take a long time. And, And Facebook, or Meta... I think originally the plan for them was to make their own custom silicon for the Quest 3 and 4, and they had talked about that, but I vaguely remember another report saying that they had given up on that because it wasn't working out or or something. Uh, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I I think maybe Meta is trapped with Qualcomm for the time being because they couldn't figure out silicon for themselves. I I think this is a lot like how Google was... You know, sort of stuck like that for a while with the pixels, right? Yeah. You have... To put that in perspective, Google was, I'll use the word unhappy. That's not how it was conveyed to me, but that's just an easy word to use. Unhappy with Qualcomm since the release of the original Nexus 7 tablet. And it took them this long. Right. And and we've seen, you know, to, to what you were saying before, Michael, we've seen several reports now about even just the operating system that Meta can't seem to, you know, get a hold on. And, you know, there are lots of reasons behind that. I don't want to go into it now. I think I've already been into it. But they clearly are having trouble making their own stuff beyond, you know, what they have done in the VR space, which, you know, really, as far as inside out tracking and a lot of other standalone stuff goes, literally nobody else is is doing it at this level. So, Nick, when you're Facebook, you don't have to invent it. You just buy the company that invented it. Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, we're literally talking about Oculus, I mean, right? Like, right, right. It's true, though. It's it's kind of true. <laughs> it's true, but also when you have just had your worst quarter ever, and you're yeah. losing ten billion a year on VR, is now the right time to buy a silicon company, or will that spook investors even more? I'm I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, and that and that that could also play a part into why they've canceled stuff lately. Is like, hey, uh, maybe we are spending too much on R and D. Android's fine, Qualcomm's fine. We're doing okay. Let me maybe we just leave it alone for a little bit. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you guys um, with respect to this whole thing. You know, they they always say that more more products in a specific category from different companies is good. I mean, that's competition, right? Having competition is a good thing. It, you know, grows the ecosystem more. It builds more interest into a specific product. And of course, now everyone is all about AR, VR, etc. Do you not think this would be a good thing for that competition with Meta? For consumers, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just don't. No question. I'm just curious the thought process that Qualcomm put into making such a big deal about their new partnership. Yeah, and that that's a that's a a good question. Uh, you know, I hadn't really thought so much about the relationship between Qualcomm and Facebook simply because I I kind of take for granted the relationship Qualcomm has with everybody because of how <laughs> the market works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what made it stand out to me. Qualcomm works with every, you name it, they work with them. 
but they don't go out on stage and, you know, ferry out CEOs of other companies and shake their hand and have big grins and pause for the camera <laughs> like they did for this. You know, the other thing that I, now that you mentioned this whole like fan figure that affair that they created, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is that they did it with ByteDance, which has been known by many individuals in the U.S. <laughs> as, you know, they find that the company could potentially be problematic because it's China-based. Um, that's interesting. The fact that they fanfared with a China-based company, uh, I have thoughts. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, everyone I mean, does not want to say anything. <laughs> okay, I, I think let's let's look at it this way, right? If you're looking at the the VR market, um, primarily, if you're talking about the Quest Two, primarily the market is the U.S. If you're talking about the Pico Neo Three, the primary market is China. So I think with with these two partnerships, they are globally making sure that hey. These sides of the world where this technology is important for us, we're making sure we partner with the most, you know, powerful company, the most popular company, whatever, the one that's going to sell the most units and therefore get us the most sales. And I, I think I, I kind of put this in the, in the article a little bit, but AMD basically did the same thing with the Xbox yeah. One and the PS4, right? Yep. They, they came up with this, it's, it's custom silicon, basically for a console, but then it's effectively the same thing in both systems. There are differences, but they're not very different. And now we have the next generation and it's the exact same thing. AMD powers all of those systems. And I think, you know, it's just Qualcomm trying to do the same thing. AMD basically has the console market wrapped up. I guess, obviously, the the exclusion is the switch because that's powered by NVIDIA. But that's only one of five consoles. And if you're looking at units sold, AMD is, is definitely doing very well. My thought is just that if you... TikTok is, is popular here despite any of the privacy concerns, but TikTok is not suited for virtual reality. It is a vertical video no. format in a very horizontal space. And video is not really ever achieved much popularity in terms of VR. VR has gotten very popular because of gaming and filmmakers have tried to do VR films for years and some are very innovative and cool. But, you know, it's not like people are going to buy a Pico because of the association with TikTok. So yeah, I'm not really sure unless they get some really crazy partnerships why they would necessarily have great appeal in the US if they're using the same Qualcomm chip as the Quest, especially considering... I mean, unless, yeah, unless ch specifically Chinese game developers that are popular, like, uh, you know, if Genshin Impact VR was on Pico, you know, that could be a game changer. But otherwise, I'm not really sure what else would give it a big U.S. draw apart from, you know, a, a small subset of people. What um, if Qualcomm you know, did this? I'm sorry, Shruti. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was actually going to mentioned something that you brought up, Jerry, because you mentioned this in one of our meetings. If people like a product, they don't care where it's from. Right. And we can see that with TikTok, right? Exactly. Like, because, yeah, we all laughed at Donald Trump's concerns over TikTok, but many of them were valid. Most of his concerns were from a business standpoint. He, he didn't care about user privacy. He didn't. It's not his job to even know anything about that whether you love the guy, hate the guy, whatever. But 
people didn't care because they love TikTok. They automatically, you know, that this is stupid. Banning TikTok is dumb. Well, no, there were a lot of valid reasons to at least investigate. Uh, I'll tell you what, partnering with Qualcomm was the smartest thing Bike Dance could have ever done because if it came down to Qualcomm and Facebook versus Bite Dance, when you know somebody at the Treasury Department is talking about a you know an entity list, <laughs> Bite Dance is on that list in a heartbeat. If you have Facebook and Qualcomm pushing for it, now you have Qualcomm as a buffer saying no, it's fine. So Bite Dance probably loves this if they plan to sell in the U.S. What I was going to say is, what if this is just a play for Qualcomm to be part of every single VR headset of the next generation sold in China, which is a potentially a much bigger market than North America? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, like I said, I, I think this is just Qualcomm going, how do we sell as many chipsets as possible? Yeah. How do we make the XR3 worth our investment? I mean... The Quest 2 sold 10 million units, but Qualcomm sells 10 million smartphones in a week. Right. I, I know more. people <laughs> people like you and Michael and other enthusiasts, they would love to see a Pico headset for sale in the United States. Even as I'm not an enthusiast and I can see how that would be good for the consumer. But what if the main goal of this was just to make more money in China? Oh, very, very likely. Very possible for sure. Yeah. I, I don't see why not. I mean, especially if, you know, I I don't know when in the world Facebook is ever going to get decoupled from the Quest. They promised that four months ago. We haven't heard hide nor hair of it. I'm sure it will happen eventually, I, th I think, maybe hopefully. But, I, you know, I, I think that's also proof that we need more competition, even if it is from ByteDance. <laughs> we, we at least need something to push companies like Meta and Facebook and whatever to to not have these, you know, sort of user hostile uh, settings or, you know, um, rules or things like that. Fully agree with you on that, Nick. Um, with that being said, I'd like to take a little break. So keep listening to us and we'll be right back. Support for the Android Central podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming. Their fourth-generation performance package absolutely changed the grooming game, along with their refined body wash, to round out your hygiene routine. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for their shower time routine by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code ACP. Have you smelled Manscaped's refined body wash? You're going to love their signature scent. You and your boys will be oh so fresh and so clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash. Keep the grooming game going with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold on to your goodies. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? This trimmer is a shower essential. 
The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Nobody likes those, so use it to get rid of them. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver will leave you smelling fresh no matter how sweaty you get. Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ACP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ACP at manscaped.com. Keep yourself trimmed, fresh, and clean with Manscaped. Okay, guys, so I want to talk about something that might be a little bit speculative-ish. Um, so <laughs> not too long ago, D- DSCC's uh, quarterly report came out on uh, um, the smartphone market in quarter four of 2022, the global foldable smartphone market. Um, that specifically um, was taken by Samsung. It grabbed 96% of that global foldable smartphone market. That's a massive, massive chunk. I mean, you know, they did uh, release a great Flip 3 and Fold 4. Um, You can go read our reviews written by very lovely Nick. Um, But it made Jerry think about this thought. Where is that other percentage and who is taking it? Thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, I mean... It was my understanding this is mostly a North American phenomenon. And if it's North America, that takes Xiaomi out of the equation. That takes Huawei out of the equation. Who else is selling foldable phones? (laughs) There's only one I can think of, and that's the Moto Flip. The Razor. Yeah, Razor (laughs) Flip. (laughs) I can't for the life of me see them selling, you know, making 4% of the market on you know selling whatever they've got left over in stock so that number just really blew my mind i I agree it's insanely high and congratulations to samsung for exceeding any goal that they would have ever dreamed of to get a market share that high but where the hell did that other four percent (laughs) go yeah i'm i'm guessing motorola too and i know it's it's a little odd but i have seen people with the razors and they've had them since liar th- you're lying i have no i seriously you're lying. have the last no the last plane i was on to go to new york to check out the uh s22 oh God. there was a dude sitting next to me he pulled it out and i was like holy crap somebody has a razor you, but like did you uh, like did, were you like dude is that a razor like i can did I see? And, he, and he was like yeah i love this thing and i, I, I was just i was like I didn't want to say really. I didn't want to look like a jerk, but I wasn't <laughs> expecting that response. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, my limited time with one, I, I kind of liked it too, but I know in the real world, everyone hates it. I mean, I had a I had a razor when I was like 16, dude. Like, I don't know if I want it now, to be very honest. I, I would very much go for the flip three, if anything. You know, it's funny because at least for me, the Razer brand has zero attraction because I remember purposefully picking a phone that was not a Razer because I hated that keyboard. It was like the Mm. worst possible T9 keyboard to try to text on. 
<laughs> I, I'm sorry. When you have to deal with T9 texting, I need a, as good of a keyboard as you could possibly give me. And that was not it. Right. Back then, I just bought a Nokia every single time I needed to buy a new yeah, phone. I had a Nokia or a Samsung. It was one of right. the two. So I, I'm not a big Razer guy, but uh, I just, you know, did they give actual number of units sold? For the Razer? Of the Samsung? Of, for, uh, in total. 4.25 million units in the fourth quarter of 2021. Uh, that's that's uh, all phones, I believe. Uh, so f- uh, that was like a 520% increase yeah, in foldable smartphones. Yeah, that's incredible. So I mean, we're talking, wow. Yeah, we're, we're talking what, if my math is right, and it's probably not, 13,000 phones that were foldables that weren't Samsung. Yeah, pretty much. So essentially, yeah, okay, so this report is saying that Samsung led with 96% share. The company shipped 4.1 million. That's 4.1 million out of 4.25 million foldables during the October to December period. Oh, oh, that's even more then. My math was horribly wrong. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. I I can't, you know, I'm sure there's some person out there probably listening that imported a is Xiaomi foldable phone. <laughs> but I can't think that there's 25,000 people that did it. No, there's no or way. 50, or, or even 1,000 people that did it. Well, okay, to be fair, so here, here's here's something that might give some perspective on that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, come into the country when they go traveling outside of the, outside of the U.S. or Canada and they they buy stuff because it's it's cheaper in sure. other countries. Right. So maybe there were that many people that left the country between that period, which I, I mean, I don't really know how if that's possible or not. I'm sure it is. No, they probably we, went we and- couldn't fly out of the country during that period. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, that was the only solution that I could think of in my head. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. It's puzzling. And when something is puzzling, boy, it grabs my attention. <laughs> I refuse to believe that Motorola picked up all that slack. And I would love to be able to find out exactly, you know, the exact breakdown of that 4%. So I know during that particular quarter, Motorola put that razor on sale several times. Ah. You know, they knocked see, several hundred bucks off of it. Again. Ain't nobody wants the razor except that dude you sat next to on the plane. Stop. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jerry. <laughs> oh boy. Well, you know, I, I, for, for me, I don't even care about the Motorola aspect so much as I care about the fact that they shipped over 4 million foldables between October and December. I mean, that's and pretty remember, impressive. Those, yeah, and those phones launched in August. So yeah, that means that's... we have August and September that... I don't remember if we have numbers for those, but that means it's more than four million. I know. Well, well the report. People... The report basically says that in the year Samsung sold eight million units. Yeah, but is that the U.S. or not? That's what I'm not sure of uh, in this report. Oh, true, true, I, true. I don't. I'd love to see like U.S. wise what does that mean? They sold four million in August and September as well. I probably wrote about it and forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> time to time to mute myself and Google. <laughs> People that love their foldables will get all excited about that number. But I will guarantee you more S22 Ultra pre-orders happened in the first five minutes than that. Eight million phones from Samsung is nothing. 
No, of course not. But I think the one question I have is Michael has been so quiet and he has not <laughs> given us his opinion on whether he likes the razor or not, which I'm very curious to know if you yes. like the razor. I, I am the the alien from Futurama. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really haven't had a chance. I've used some Motorola phones but never the razor. So I just was letting the people who actually have Strong thoughts. Jump in on this one. <laughs> no, you're supposed to have an opinion on things you don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Hot take. Um, Jerry, <laughs> don't yuck people's yum. If they like terrible foldable phones, then you should let them love them. <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I, I regret saying anything. <laughs> yeah, you better regret saying that. Anyways, I, I I'm done talking this speculation. I want to talk about something that's been on my mind because I think it's kind of interesting, but we uh, we wrote a newser uh, a couple of days ago, actually. Michael wrote it. Um, uh, Carl Pay and his nothing phone and how it could oh launch. God, that guy. <laughs> as, as soon as April. And uh, basically, the the news came from TechCrunch, uh, a source, uh, unnamed source, Um claims that the phone was actually being exhibited, um, a prototype of it was being exhibited at Mobile World Congress, and that, uh, you know, it was going to be announced sometime next month, and that it could have the same translucent design as the Nothing Ear One Buds that were released earlier this year. Um, Yes, please. I I think this is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I want translucent electronics. That's my opinion. But you know, you know, okay, so this is what was running through my head because, you know, as we all know, Carl Pei created OnePlus, um, which is now with uh, Oppo. Is it Oppo or Oppo? I always, I always forget how to say say it. Anyway, tomato, tomato, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we know it, we know OnePlus is now uh, with Oppo. Um, What, where is this idea going to go? Do we think it's going to be another OnePlus situation here? Is it, are we excited about it? Do we care about it? And I I like uh, old OnePlus a lot. Um, I mean, newer OnePlus is definitely up in the air. Maybe they'll fix their problems given what they have recently said. But we're not talking about that yet this week, maybe next week or something. <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing what what Carl Pei puts together because the amount of talent that's on this team is like next level. I mean, when when OnePlus started, it was effectively nothing, right? In that, who even knew who these people were? I mean, it, the most hey. popular thing they had was it had CyanogenMod running on the phone. And a bunch of phone geeks like me were like, oh my gosh, I can buy a phone with this pre-installed and I don't have to ROM the stupid thing anymore. But I mean, beyond that, I don't. I, were there any big names associated with that brand at the time? I don't know if you remember Jerry. Well, Carl Pei would have told you he was a big deal. I didn't know anything about <laughs> Carl Pei going into that. Well, but, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. He still would have told you he was. So, yeah, I don't know. He, I just i I interviewed him at CES that year that that phone came out, and he was he was nice. I mean, he was kind of down to earth type of dude. I mean, he is a very nice guy, and he's very smart. And he's a good entrepreneur. And that means that he has to oversell. And that's my only thing I'm joking about is how he has to oversell himself and his company. Yeah, I get you. Um, I mean, 
I think it's it's hard. It would be hard for them to do what they did with OnePlus because OnePlus right. came in and they did the whole flagship killer spiel and they basically sold everything at cost and it was dirt cheap. You can't have a flagship phone at 350 bucks these days. It's literally impossible. Right. Remember, Even if you sell it at cost, that stupid thing costs more than that to make. OnePlus as a company was designed to make money selling backpacks, not phones. I did not I know that. I actually didn't know that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they, they were more. willing to break even on phones and sell accessories and clothing and that sort of stuff. And it worked out well for them. It's ironic because I have two OnePlus backpacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, but I didn't you know, pay for either of them, but whatever. It's interesting because I remember, like, I had the first OnePlus and I loved that phone. I, I actually, like, loved that phone a lot. I thought it was very beautiful. Um... And I remember when that phone came out and all the hype around it, like it was almost this like really cool exclusive party. Like you had to get an invitation to be able to buy the phone. I don't yes. know if you guys remember that. Like I thought oh, yeah. that was, I thought that was so cool. Like that idea, like I love that. I thought it was fun. It was, it was different. And I, you know, I, I guess my, like, I, I think it'd be kind of cool if that came back. Like, I don't, I'm, maybe I'm overreaching here by saying that, but I think that that's kind of a cool thing, you know, like we're in this time right now where Companies are putting out phones left, right, and center every year. There's so many products out there. And it would almost be kind of cool to have that whole exclusive nature behind a flagship phone come back again. Well, now would be a good time for some sort of lottery to buy a phone as hard as they are to get built. Yeah. I, if nothing, <laughs> that would that would be a nice little shtick because then they you wouldn't have to go through this whole thing of, oh, I can't find it in any stores. Then people know, oh, well, I got to get an invite to get one of these so that they can make it for me. You know, you, you could even you could even do this as like, hey, we got to customize this thing. So you need you need to have your own order for this instead of just going to a store and buying it in a box. It's already been sitting there for a while. And that's an easy way to hype your company. Mm. Yeah. Each and time you sure. have 100 invites to give out, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> right. And make sure that... um you know, if you're unable to score some good deals with carriers because they're a new brand and it's going to be difficult to maybe even get your phone in stores instead of going through the effort of doing that, just go the direct model and try to do yeah direct to consumer marketing. But the key to that, though, is just is it going to be a good phone? Because, you know, it's, I don't know how many phones they'll actually be able to make with limited resources with the bigger companies snapping up all the chips you know, how, how many are they going to make? And it'll be, it's, they need to make a really good first impression, I think, because it's hard to get into the phone market. And if the original, you know, the first people invited don't like the phone, it's going to yeah. be hard to have people have enough patience to keep going back to it when they can just buy a Samsung phone for maybe close to the same price. I so. think the thing, I think the thing that Carl Pay has behind his back though is is obviously one the OnePlus brand every i mean i i know i'm sure a lot of people know the brand and how successful uh, it it is or yeah and, and anybody that would sign up to get a lottery ticket to buy a phone would know about it exactly and the second and we haven't mentioned this yet is nothing has already partnered with Qualcomm right so you know he's raised what 50 million in funding um, from investors, I, it looks like he's on the right track. I mean, clearly he knows what he's doing. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think almost a lottery is, is what needs to happen for this to be kind of successful, I feel. Can I say, I just hope that, you know, when they say that Carl Pay was supposedly showing the phone off at MWC, I hope he just had an empty box and he was telling people, I swear there's a phone in there, but I can't show <laughs> you right now. No, that would have been so cool. <laughs> I was going to say, this is not the whole case with what was it, Onward Mobility and the, the potential yeah. BlackBerry 5G <laughs> phone. Listen, I, if it was that, then everyone's going to be really upset. Like, hey, I get the, reverse, the first review sample of that phone when it comes out. They promised me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I have a quick question. I mean, I don't think we know anything about this or have heard anything, but what do you think the software situation is going to be like on a nothing phone that is meant to evoke OnePlus? Are they going to do something similar? Are they going to make it modding friendly? Are they going to have it just be really stock? What, what, do, you, what do you all think? Yeah, I, I think if you look at Motorola, that's going to give you a good picture. It's very basic, a few cool additions, but mostly just what Google has already written. Yeah, and, okay. and I think if we're looking at their existing product, which is those headphones, you know, the, the whole design trait with those is that it's transparent, right? Which we assume the phone will also look the same way. And I would assume then that being that sort of ultra minimalist, you know, to the point where you can see through the thing, that would extend to the OS as well. So we're probably looking at a very close to stock Android situation, maybe with a light skin. You just mm. changed what I wish for. Now I hope Carl Pay just didn't have anything in his hands. He was telling people it's an invisible phone. <laughs> the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> yeah, look at it. Look how great it is. It would look, it would be so cool if it was a transparent phone, though. I, I think that would that would be maybe really cool. I, I want just, it. I want no, it. You, Literally, you, that's it. I you want it. Probably don't because then it would be really really crappy plastic. Okay, fair enough. Not good plastic. <laughs> Well, Fair I mean, we, we had those fake transparent phones from Xiaomi, what, a year or two ago? I can't remember how long ago it was, where they, they even had, like, the fake components behind it just because it looked cool, right? Yeah. But it was glass. Fair. Yeah, but you couldn't really see the guts of the phone. You saw something they embedded in the glass. That, that's what I mean. They they put fake components to make it look cool. But, I mean, yeah, whatever, could, they could I'm still. Sure you could, I'm sure you could do that with glass, too. And that that I would like to see because there's probably a lot of engineering hurdles there. Fair, fair. Okay, I want to talk about our last topic, um, which I think a lot of people will be excited to hear about. Um, we are getting, I feel like we get leaks like all the time, every single day on everything. But uh, obviously, more new leaks on the Pixel Watch, which is something that everyone has been, I guess, begging for for a very long time. Um Basically, the new reports is that the watch and the the rumored Pixel 6a um, have popped up in a U.S. carrier's inventory system. Um, the devices have, you know, specific code names, Rohan and Blue Jay. And um, the other leak is that uh, the Pixel Watch is reportedly going to have 32 gigabytes of storage, internal storage. So if, if that is true and, and in fact is going to be the case, that smartwatch will have twice the storage capacity of Samsung's Galaxy uh, Watch 4. So uh, let's discuss, guys. <laughs> I have some bad news before we uh, really dive into it. Oh, no. Seeing, I love bad news. <laughs> yeah. John Prosser has leaked today that apparently Google has 
delay the Pixel 6a until late July because of the chip shortage and that the Pixel watch might also be pushed back to late July. Womp oh, womp. so this is the Pixel 5a all over again. Okay. <laughs> or it was never supposed to be released until July. And Right. We've been here before. We yeah. keep getting we've the, the goalposts pushed back because they said, oh, now we're sure that internally it's May and now it's July. But yeah, just letting you all know before we get too hyped about the watch coming in two months. That's unfortunate about the 6A. That's probably going to be a really good phone. A couple hundred dollars cheaper than the 6. A lot of the bugs worked out. That's unfortunate to see people have to wait for it. The watch, man, is extra storage going to make anybody really care about Android Wear? No. (laughs) No. Google has to have something much better up its sleeve. I think like we said before, if they're making a Pixel watch, it makes sense now because Wear OS 3 allows you to make custom skins and they could do their whole Pixel skin like they did with the, you know, the Pixel 6 when they launched it with Android 12. And it looks totally different from everybody else's version of Android 12, basically. And I I think if they do that, they price it well, they advertise the heck out of it, they could sell a few. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to make any dent in the market. And that's the thing, like we saw with the Galaxy Watch 4. I mean, they sold a bunch. Android Wear has a much larger percentage of the market now than it, I think, ever has. I mean, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. And I I suppose if we're talking about the very beginning of the smartphone race before the Apple Watch really came out and made, you know, the the market what it it is now, this is probably the most, uh, the largest market share Google has had since that period of time. But does anybody care about a Wear OS watch? I I think people would care. Okay, put it this way. I think people would care if it was Google. But um, will Google market it as 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 much? But even with Google marketing the Pixel Six the way they did, well, and this is that's that's what I was going to say, right? Because. And I I kind of led that with some speculation or with some caution because of how Google marketed the six. It was not as big as they could have marketed it, right? So I'm just saying, if if Google decides that they want to capture a higher wearable market, or if they even feel like they they think it's important to them, which you know we don't even know what Google cares about <laughs> for many things. Uh, if I feel like if they marketed it, that's really hard to say. Try saying that five marketed it, marketed it. <laughs> if they tried doing it, I feel like maybe they could be successful. Well, we we just made a joke about the Pixel Six and Google marketing. Truthy, Nick, Michael, if you remember a few days back in one of our meetings, we were talking about uh, reports about Qualcomm and MediaTek arguing over who sold more chips. And uh, an analyst said that literally the Pixel 6 sold enough to hurt Qualcomm because they were no longer using Qualcomm chips. And the Pixel 6 was a deciding factor that gave MediaTek, you know, first place. If so, and since Google won't tell us how many they sold, maybe they sold more than everybody thinks. I mean, I don't know. I I live out in the woods. I've, I've never seen anybody with a Pixel 6, but... I live out in the woods and I don't leave the house, so I've never seen anybody, period. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Um, I'm trying to remember if I have seen Pixel 6s in the wild. But what I'm saying is it's possible the the watch could be the same thing. It's never going to sell in numbers that, you know, make headlines, but it might sell enough to disrupt things. Sure. I think that's the best that Google can hope for right now if they if they do come out with a Pixel watch is just to disrupt things and maybe just to to get some more mind share mm. for Wear OS. Because, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you, you know you what? We only have one. There's only this, there's only been the Samsung watch doing Wear OS for a whole year, and it's yeah. making it hard for people to know anything about it unless they are Samsung people. We don't know what Wear OS will be like out without this, like the Samsung slant on it. Right. And Wear OS 3 has been such a, a weird release. Just very strange. We I, Do we know when the other watches are getting it yet? Because I thought by now we would have known something. I mean, it's, it's March 4th. We were mid-2022. So I think the summer was the thought that that's when Fossil and the rest are going to get it. I said way back at release that no watch that doesn't have a newer chip will ever see it. Now Qualcomm is saying they've designed a, a newer chip that's better for Wear OS 3. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the, the change right there. Probably. I know we heard all these promises and then, you know, back and forth from companies about updates to existing hardware. I'm sorry, that's never going to happen. The, the, the ones that are powered by the 4100 that came out last year, I, there's no reason those won't get Wear OS 3. I'll bet they don't. <laughs> they're going to piss off a lot of people I'll if they, bet well, the battery okay. life absolutely maybe not a lot tanks. of people, but they're going to piss off some people. I'll piss I, off I'll, Derek. Yeah, I, I'll bet it would, would absolutely tank the already poor battery life. And that'd be the only reason. Maybe. My, my question is, do we think that a Google Wear OS watch would do better or worse if it was branded as a Fitbit watch? Because Ooh. Fitbit is a really popular brand that hasn't really done anything major in the last wasn't, year or so. Wasn't that a speculation as well? That or no? Didn't didn't Google say that? Or I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm I misread Google, somewhere. Fitbit CEO and Fitbit is owned by Google. They did say that the next they did Fitbit right will be running Wear OS, but we don't okay. know if that will be the same as the Pixel Watch, um, and we assume I... that it isn't. I don't but, think it would. I don't think it would. It would be something. I I feel like it would be separate. I feel like if Google were yeah. to make its own thing, it would it would be the Pixel Watch, and then they would also incorporate Wear OS with the next Fitbit. I feel that would be the case. Right. I we, think we haven't heard anything work from Google marketing because <laughs> yeah. screw the Pixel Watch. Just get the next Fitbit out the door. That's that where would the money get people is. More excited because it would have all of the sensors people care about you know that's people people buy fitbits to work out and to have things like you know measuring stress and sleep and right you know and all of that and if they had that but also had better apps because there was some version of wear os on it even if it's not as advanced as the one on samsung i think that would get people excited and would get more regular buyers who know fitbit yeah and there's already a market share for fitbit which would make sense and and a better piece of hardware would be a better vehicle towards Fitbit Plus, which is mm. the real moneymaker. Mm. Yeah. The only problem is I don't know if they would still work with iPhones and most Fitbits have up until now, and that would have them lose money if Wear OS... Uh, it would. I can, I yeah. can guarantee you that 
Google doesn't want to release a product and not make it available to, you know, 2 billion iPhone users. Right. But yeah, I would be interested in, I, I, we've seen screenshots of the Pixel Watch having Fitbit integration. So it's just, there's going to be some overlap. I just think that, yeah, Pixel pixels are popular with the tech folks like the tech enthusiasts but fitbit is popular more broadly and if they're doing wear os we that would actually get wear os on the map yeah more yeah, than a pixel watch was. Point. same device with two different boxes probably <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I, whatever works <laughs> okay guys on that note i wanted to end our conversation but i do want to do whatever's making us happy this week or our big wins, happy thoughts. I know we were like, do we want to do it this week because of how shitty everything is around the world? But without boasting or anything, what made you happy this past week? Or at least what made you feel a little positive? Nick? Can I pass? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to think of something. I had something uh, lined up for last week, but you know, for obvious reasons, we decided to to nix that because it was not a great thing to talk about. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think this week has just been so busy and so crazy. It's it's kind of hard to think about like, okay, what were the positive points? I don't know. I'm putting in a window in my basement this week. Maybe I could say that. That's nice. That's fun. Hey, that's I'll, good. I'll actually have some airflow in here and maybe won't die from radon. So, you know, hey, there's, there's a... <laughs> Yay. You should buy iodine pills. I read on the internet. That's the the wrong thing. It starts with the same, but... (laughs) (laughs) Jerry? (laughs) Hey, I actually have something that's making me happy. And I don't know. It's dumb. It's a grandpa thing, I guess. Uh, My oldest granddaughter wanted a telescope. (gasps) Okay. So we, we sat down on a hangout and looked at Amazon And she picked out a telescope she wanted. So grandpa bought it and sent it to her. And her mom wanted to have another hangout when she opened it up. She opened the box from Amazon. And on the box, there's a picture of the telescope. And up in the corner, there's a picture of the moon. And she said, oh, grandpa bought me a moon gun. And I thought that was the most hilarious thing I had ever heard. You know, because I guess it looked like some sort of gun. That's so good. And that's just one of those things that I'm going to remember forever. That That is amazing. (laughs) That is that is epic. I love that. Your granddaughter has a crudge with the moon. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Michael. I don't know so, if you can top that. That was pretty epic. Yeah, Maybe she played too epic. much Majora's Mask. Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so my partner and I adopted a cat, you know, Meow. late last year. And Blue has been a he is the zoomiest cat you will ever meet. He is just <laughs> very, very excited to always play, which is very, very different impression than we got from him at the shelter. Hmm. And uh yeah. He, we have started to get him to understand words. Like he knows what, what, he knows his name. He knows what play means. He knows what food means. You know, he knows what no means, which has been really helpful because he likes to sort of think that we're cats and tackle our ankles and we can (laughs) tell him no. And he listens maybe like a third of the time. But, you know, he is starting to really get to understand. How? So if you go on YouTube and look up like stuff about cat 
buttons and learning languages. There are people who've trained their cats to know dozens of words. We're not wow. anywhere close to that with Holy blue. Holy crap. Yeah. That's amazing. I just squirt a squirt gun at the cat when I don't want to do something. <laughs> I had no idea. That's cool. That's amazing. That's I'm amazing. like, listen, I, I, I helped. Helped. Good Lord. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Um, we potty trained our rabbits to go in a litter box, and I thought that was impressive. What? But words, words are way more impressive than that. <laughs> Wait That's a minute. Amazing. First, I find out that cats can learn the word no, and now I find out that rabbits will crap in a litter box. Yep. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. too much. It's not. It's actually not that difficult. I love it. Are your rabbits like inside pets? I don't have them anymore, but when we did have them. Well, I guess that'd be mighty convenient. Yeah, it's something you definitely want to do. Yeah, it was it was when we uh, we got them when we were living in an apartment. And, you know, kind of problematic to have rabbits outside. I I know people have rabbits for inside pets. I'm not that countrified. (laughs) uh, Right. But I guess the difference is, can you let them out of their cage without them, uh, you know, Uh, going? I didn't know anything about that. That that was the issue. So, yeah, that was. It was That's interesting cool. to learn that you could do that and then subsequently be able to actually do it. <laughs> you should get rabbits and send them to Michael and see if he can teach them words. There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I do not know how Blue would get along with a rabbit. That oh, he'd be... love it. He would just love it. Well, that's amazing. Um, I guess my big winner, I guess, positive feeling or whatever you want to call it was... Um, so I, when I was a kid, I used to play this computer game and I don't know why I just, I kept thinking about it. I've been recently thinking about it and I was like, oh, I wish I could play it, but it was, you know, it, it was a CD. It was a DOS game actually. Um, it's like super, super old. Um, and my partner, he found it online and he, and you can play it online actually. Uh, it's called King's Quest 7. Yes. Princess Bride. Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a point and click? Yes, absolutely yes, it is. It's a point and click game. And I'm so like, I, I haven't played it yet, but I'm going to play it this weekend. I'm so excited. I am so <laughs> going to relive my childhood and I'm I'm really, really excited about it. So that that's sort of making me really excited. But okay, first of all, Nick, so you know what the game is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like <laughs> King's Quest, Space Quest, all those good things. Oh, they my were God. Great. I love Sierra it. Sierra okay. Online, baby. Woo-hoo. I'm looking at this, and this is the most shrewdy game ever. <laughs> shrewdy? What, what does that make me? That's, that, well, yeah. that makes you just <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, that's fair. No, but, but listen, okay, hey, first of all, uh, let me just set the record straight and Nick knows my obsession, but I am obsessed with Zelda. Okay. I have beaten it once and I'm about to beat it for the second time fully. So See, we're just, we're just on the same wavelength with games. That's, that's just the end of it. Cause that's the same with us really. I mean, you put a gajillion hours in the breath of the wild. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, that's, what's making me excited and I'm really happy about it. But anyways, <laughs> aside from that, thank you so much for listening and, um, taking the time and hearing our crazy thoughts and Jerry's antics, which we love. But please keep listening and, and thank you again for listening to us this week. I know it's been a bit hard, but, you know, take some time for yourself and listen to us next week again. Bye, guys. Adios. Bye. Later. <laughs>